Hello, everybody. It's Keith. Help support the Northeast scene and declare yourself a member today. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast medium of choice. Rate us and leave a review. Every little bit helps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It has every podcast episode plus other exclusive content. Like and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheNEScene. Also, continue to write us at NortheastScene at gmail.com. We want to share your experiences as well. And now, here's the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. And we're back on Monday again. And tonight, we're going to be talking to drummer extraordinaire and my friend, Jimmy Rhodes. He's been in many bands that you know and love, and he's got a new band with, uh, it's this, it's, I didn't realize this, it's the singer from Pianos Become the Teeth. Band is called burial waves it's coming out on dark operative and he's got a lot of great company on that label you got the boy sets fire re-release you got caspian you've got this will destroy you you've got power trip i mean come on it's an all-star lineup i always mess that name up it's pianos become teeth pianos become the teeth really yeah okay i i always (laughs) whenever i hear it i'm always like i don't i don't know i don't i mess that up you know the song Nostalgist on the latest Caspian record? Oh, yeah. He's the dude that sings on it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like that song. That's a good yeah. one. That's so good. Is that the first Caspian track ever with with vocals? No. What's the first one? The first one, I think the first one was Gone in Bloom and Bow. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So guess where I am right now? Uh, n- Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I wish. I am in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Are you really? Yeah. <laughs> are you are you home for Easter? Uh, I'm home, but not for Easter. What'd you come home for? I'll tell you after the show. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, Lord. It's one of those. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, it's one of those. So uh, we'll be catching up after the show. And uh, folks, for $50 on our Patreon, you can hear the intimate details of my life. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh shit, are you really opening up stuff like that? That's a weird one, man. I don't know about that. No, it's not a good idea. Yeah. I don't I always think that's weird when people say like, hey, pay for this exclusive content. Like, nah, I'm yeah. good with the regular stuff. Like we're giving away like the greatest content that has ever existed. And that's why we are awesome. Okay. yeah sure i I wanted to see how you were going to respond to that but i have a new segment i have a new segment are you ready yes all right folks here we go this is the pop culture minute with keith and tommy where we cover the hot topics of the day and give you our opinions on them are you ready for this tommy i i think i did my homework we're good yeah we're good so we're going to start with the new Lil Nas X video. Now, this video is causing a lot of controversy in lame conservative circles. I watched it. I, I thought it was pretty wild. My, what did you I'm think? Not, I I just, I got confused for a second. I had to watch it, and then I was like, 
wait, who's Lil Nas X? Like, I didn't know who he was. Old Town Road, dude. Yeah, that's what confused me is like, can you imagine that pitch meeting? They're like, all right, so you wrote this song about horses and cowboys and shit. And he's like, all right, dig this. Satan, Air Max collaboration, twerking. Uh, also I'm gay. And it's like, wait, what? (laughs) Can you imagine that meeting where people are just like, okay, um, let's see, we can do with this. We might be able to work with that. Like, fuck dude, it's a lot of change because literally it's, it went from like hip hop crossover with country to fucking (laughs) just making people angry. I, yeah. And I, I always appreciate any art like that, that makes people angry. He, he announced that he was gay pretty soon after Old Town Road came out. Oh, really? Yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I just, I thought it was great. I thought it was like a brave announcement to, at the height of your fame, just be like, I'm gay. You know yeah, what I mean? Good for him. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's great. And I also think it's great that he still has success because it could have easily become a one-hit wonder thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Old the Town Air Max, Road. I'm a little, the Air Max things are corny. He's getting sued by he's getting sued by uh Nike anyway, so for what? Uh patent infringement. You can't fucking make they look exactly like Air Max 97s. You can't fucking do that. Oh, he made his own shoes. Yeah, it's him with a collaboration with somebody and then the whole dig was they only made 666 pairs and yeah. each pair has a drop of human blood in them. Oh, that right. Yes. Right, right, so right. it was like in my head, I'm going like, uh, you know what this is, and it, I think like it's Slayer putting a pentagram on the front of a record. It's it. Yeah. It's just shock value. Like it's the same old story. It's yeah. like the same old in in the eight in the seventies or sixties or seventies. It was Black Sabbath. In the eighties, it was Slayer. In the nineties, it was alternative music, and now it's Lil Nas X. I think it's funny that people get upset about like when they're like well he's glorifying the devil i'm like here's my thing do you legitimately believe in the devil like do you think there's a guy that lives underground (laughs) like that fucking like you know do like i i think my biggest issue with people having a, a negative reaction to something like that is like okay well i can show you like 20 things that have happened in the last two decades that are infinitely more shocking. And just because they didn't get a lot of publicity, you're, you're just like, Oh, well I didn't hear about that. It's like, yeah, because you heard about these things. It's a publicity stunt. That's why you heard about it because it got publicity. Like that's (laughs) what did you think of the video? I mean, it's, it's kind of neat that it's his face on everything. I thought that the CGI was kind of cool. It had a good... I think it looked good. I think it was pretty wild. Do you... As a parent, do you, like, worry about that angle at all? Would you be like, oh, I don't think my kids should watch this? How? how where do you fall on that? No, I don't... It's, my thing is, is, like, I've already exposed my kids to things that I know that they can handle. But I, I know that kids... Kids seek things out like that, like, shocking things. There's a certain age where, like, you... 
that at least I went through where I actively sh- like looked for things that were shocking. The more shocking the record cover, like, you know, when Mayhem put that fucking record out where it was the the dude who, you know, dead had killed himself and they fucking put it on the cover or like abnegation, put that girl's face all smashed up and everything on the front of it. Like it's, it's the shock value of it. I, I think with like my kids, I don't ever have a problem. I was exposed to things when I was in high school, especially like early years of high school where I remember it had no profound effect on me. Then that's not to say that it wouldn't have a profound effect on somebody else's children, but I think shielding kids from things like that is a is generally a bad idea because eventually they're going to get that I they're going to get that streak in them like I did which is like I'm going to go fucking seek this out because I want to exactly. see what that looks like you know All right, I'm moving on to the next topic because we're running out of time. Oh, you only gave me one thing to look at. What the fuck? <laughs> like, there was other things to look at. I just watched the little Nas thing. Well, listen. Okay. Uh, I'm keeping you on your toes. Oh lord. Do you, do you remember do you remember the band Eve 6 from the early 2000s? Put my tender heart in a blender. Yeah. Beautiful oblivion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you read any the guy from the band started tweeting a lot and he's like a Twitter sensation now. Have you read about any of that? <laughs> no. I'm not on Twitter. I have three accounts <laughs> on Twitter and I never look at it. I don't know how to a use it. A brief aside, don't go on a long thing, but the other day I tweeted and I was like Tommy isn't on Twitter so I can post anything I want about him here. Yeah, you can. And people liked it. Oh, good. That's good. Yeah, I don't. I don't. <laughs> but know anyway, to, this the yeah. guy from this band is is just like tweeting and he's like posting about everybody, like a how about about how the singer of Third Eye Blind is like a huge dick. And that guy's like a notorious dick in music scenes, and he's arguing about like how capitalism is bad, and he's fighting a, with the drummer of Jimmy Eat World because Jimmy Eat World drummer is like more of a centrist lib and the guy from eve six is like more far left like i am and it's just really entertaining stuff so tommy if you ever get on twitter again check it out i won't all right <laughs> I, just, I won't do that i i think all right next godzilla versus kong did you watch it i didn't know there was one are you gonna watch it no did you watch kong skull island no it's good check it out all right, and last but not least, the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. Did you watch it? I have never seen a superhero movie. Ever? I've never even seen Spider-Man. Now, here, I I will watch Godzilla vs. Kong because I have HBO Max, and I did see the first two new King Kong movies. They were good. I do not like Zack Snyder's superhero films. They I don't like how they look. They're kind I just I don't like anything about them. I'm sorry, Zack. And the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League is four plus hours long. And I don't watch any TV or movies anymore, so I'm definitely not watching that. But Tommy, I have a superhero movie recommendation for you. Are you ready? Go. Uh, Wait, you've never seen The Dark Knight? No. Bro. So, uh, okay. I actually know this. Somebody posted the first scene. You know that ro- the robbery they do in the dark. Yeah. Is that the, it, so I've seen that part, and I was like, "Wow, it's a really cool thing." Like, because uh, I, I just didn't understand how it was going to work, and then that part where the school bus just pulls out and pulls in with all the other school buses. I was like, "Okay, that was fucking awesome." Like, that was a really cool scene, but it didn't. I, I just didn't go. Oh, I'm going to go watch the rest of that movie. I didn't watch the Dark Knight and watch Logan. It's a 2017 Marvel superhero movie centered around 
Wolverine and Professor X, and it's it's very bleak, very moody. Very, it's it's amazing. Is it that dude? Is it the uh, who's the guy that always plays Wolverine? That guy, yeah, Hugh Jackman, yeah, it's yeah, him? it's that yeah. dude. Okay, cool. Watch it. No. Watch it. You'll love it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'll watch. And that's it, folks. That's it. That's the Pop Culture Minute with Keith and Tommy. Uh, I've addressed a lot of things, and Tommy will be watching none of them. So, no. you know what? We got to try, though. We got to keep trying to stay relevant, right? No, I'm gonna watch Trading Places for <laughs> I'm gonna watch Trading Places for the fucking thousandth time and laugh. <laughs> uh, so how you doing? Now keep in mind we have two minutes left. So you take one minute, I'll take one minute. Doing great. I'm on spring break right now. I'm at my house. I uh, just got back from the shore. Spent the weekend down the shore with my kids in Sea Isle. Went on the beach. Uh, went to the arcade. Got ice cream. Ordered pizza. It was everything the beach would be, except it was 55 degrees outside. Um, how was the arcade fucking the only thing that i play at the arcade is ski ball and pinball um they got rid of all the pinball machines to make way for these kind of like goofy like you know shooter games and like you know the ride motorcycle games ski ball is still there but they have shower curtains in between each lane <laughs> i thought it was kind of neat i'll send you a picture of it later it's funny but uh it, you know the, the girls love it they they go and play ski ball and you know, they get obsessed with earning tickets and it was just, it was a great, great time. I had a really nice time just spending time with the family. Did you Tommy them and offer to buy the prizes on Amazon instead of them earning them through winning tickets? We did have a talk about economics on the way home and about how much you actually earn per ticket, like how much a ticket actually would cost you in real money. Um, you know, cause we played a dollar game one time and the, the, the dollar game got them four tickets. I was like, so those 25 cent tick, you know, each ticket's 25 cents and you could basically get a Laffy Taffy for four. Did they tickets. say, why are you our, our father? They, we wish no. that someone else was. <laughs> no, they get up. They don't really get upset with stuff like that. When I was five years old, my dad spent $5 winning me a, a stuffed rabbit from one of those boardwalk games. Oh, yeah. And do you know what I named the rabbit? $5. Yes, because that's how much money my dad spent winning it. <laughs> you see how even at such a young age, I had such a sharp wit and whimsical sense about me? Very glib. You're very glib. <laughs> All right, so nothing's really going on with me. I'm in Bucks County. Oh, guess who I ran into in Doylestown? Anthony. No, Brent, close. Br- yes. Northeast scene guest and our dear friend Brendan Ekstrom of Circus Survive. I posted a, a picture of the mo- this monument in Doylestown to our group chat, and I just wrote, eh. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm literally right there. And I was like, walk into the sandwich shop right now. And then we, we talked for like 10 minutes, so that was really nice. And uh, I'm down here taking care of some family business. Everything's okay right now. It's just stressful. I'm good. Everything's good. We're here. It's Monday. I'm I'm excited. We got a good guest. We're having some fun. You know, we're getting shit done. So we're at our mark. We're going to talk to Jimmy now. Here we go. Enjoy. All right, folks. We're here now with Mr. Jimmy Rhodes. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I was super stoked and honored that you guys wouldn't have me on. I was like really surprised and shocked and very flattered. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, that, that's why I love Instagram because like I'm following everybody 
It's it's hard to find guests. This is a weekly show. I don't know if you know, but this is a weekly show, so it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to find guests, book guests. So I'm following everybody. I see somebody's got an album coming out. I'm like, oh shit, let's try them. It's cool because you, you've had a bunch of my friends on. Actually, I mean, like I've seen like, and at least people I know that I'm friendly with too. I mean, like whether it's friends like Steve Clifford from Circa or you know Pat from Allsfield, and I was you know obviously in Allsfield with him, and you know I was just listening to the Liam. Dillinger one earlier today actually i hadn't listened to that one yet so i've listened to a bunch of your of your episodes they're awesome oh nice thank Thank you you. how's it going man it's been a long time i think the last time i talked to you was a black cloud show at saint vitus i was gonna say that actually i was thinking that today i was like when's the last time i saw keith i was like man it had to be black clouds at vitus was that us in united nations maybe yep yeah that was super fun Um, oh that was a great gig yeah yeah, that was a hell of a run that we did with them. Because I mean, they're such good buds with us. I mean, yeah, the, the pianos guys that are in that band, and um, you know, Jeff was doing that label that we were on, and uh, you know, Lucas, from, who was also in Thursday for a while, he's he's in the United Nations, and those guys are like best buds with us. So doing that run with them was so awesome, and it was very cool that they asked us to do it. Was that like a, a whole tour or something? Or I think I think for that show. We that, that's when we went up to Canada and back, just like a really quick run. I think it was like five or six days or something. But it was cool that we got to go do that with them because UN only played a little bit here and there. But yeah, I was, I was saying earlier, I'm like, man, what's that time I saw Keith? I was like, it had to be at Vitus. And man, all those Vitus hangouts are the most absolute fun ever, especially for us guys from DC that, that know everybody up there in New York and like, you know, we're friendly with Artie and Dave from. So whenever we're up there, it's like all of our friends that moved to New York from DC or Baltimore or people I know from Philly that moved to, to New York. Yeah. Uh, everybody's there and everyone wants to hang out <laughs> in that short <laughs> period of time that it becomes like the most fun night ever. There's actually like a picture of us. Maybe it's from that show, but there was like every band and every friend that was there in the main area of St. Vitus. And there was a giant group picture taken. It looked like a class picture and half of, <laughs> half of every dude's shirts are off. And it was just like, yep, that pretty much explains how the night went. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was super fun, yeah. But yeah, I, it was awesome seeing you at that show. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I had m- known that you had moved to New York yet. I, I, I thought maybe you had still been in Philly. Maybe I knew you moved to New York, but I hadn't seen you since Philly when I last saw you in New York. Yeah, it hadn't been that long. It hadn't been that long. And it's it was it's always good. I think you were there. I think Ryan uh, McDermott was there. And it's great to see familiar faces there because I honestly don't know a lot of musical people up there. You know, if I go to a show, it's usually by myself. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm familiar with that game. I did that my whole life growing up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm like, I, going to shows by yourself is sick, is sick, though. I mean, no one's bothering you to be like, dude, that part. It's like, yeah, I know. I saw that part. It was fucking sick. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> even though it's, like, it's, it's awesome to do that. It's obviously way more fun with friends, but going to certain shows by yourself is really rad, especially when you want to pay attention and like, just have like your own night. You know, I had a friend who, who, and surprisingly this wasn't Tommy, but I had a friend who talked to me so much during a band set that we got in trouble. Like, <laughs> It was at a, uh, it was a good old war show, and my friend just kept leaning over to me saying shit, and this girl was standing behind us, and she's like, I'm sorry, can you stop talking? Like, I'm trying to watch the show, and, and I, I didn't know how to say to her, like, 
I know what you're saying because I'm annoyed as shit that this guy keeps talking to me too. <laughs> He's gonna be like, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I could keep talking. You could check a little place called the other side of the room. You might want to check out though. It's over there. <laughs> you just keep walking. <laughs> but the friend left shortly after that, and then I went into the VIP section, and then I got kicked out, even though I had a uh, backstage pass. So Jimmy, now my favorite part of this show is like getting to know the people that I know. Because, like, if we're hanging out at a show, I won't be like, tell me about how you grew up or, you know, <laughs> yeah. when did you first get into music? But in this format, I get to ask all those questions and really find out about the people that I know and don't know. So, Jimmy, let's take it back a little bit. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Washington, D.C. I was, I was born in D.C. proper, which is pretty rare. A lot of people aren't born in actual D.C. city limits, usually, like, uh, you know, Maryland or Virginia or whatever. But yeah, I was born in D.C., so I can I can claim that, which is pretty awesome. An Uber driver once told me I was like a unicorn because he'd never met anyone born in D.C. before. <laughs> it's a very it's a very transient city. Yeah, it's like no one in D.C. is usually from D.C. It's very rare. It's um, like being born in Manhattan. It's like, yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, it's so, yeah, I grew up in D.C. I went to Went to school in Bethesda, Maryland, um, which is like right outside the city. And then like my mom moved to Bethesda when my parents got divorced. And my dad is in Ocean City, Maryland, which is where I'm right now. He basically, he has a surf shop and, um, you know, works his ass off like basically May until January. Then he goes on vacation from like January till May. And so (laughs) when, when when the pandemic hit, my girlfriend and I live in a basement apartment in D.C. right now. And when the pandemic hit, we were like, when it first started, we're like, let's get Ocean City. My dad's out of town. Let's just use his condo because like no one's down there. It's off season and we'll just see what this virus is all about. And we can work remote from there. So I've been spending a lot of time here. She's, she's been back, um, you know, at work since June. So like I'm, I'm in DC pretty much half the week in Ocean City half the week right now, just kind of waiting for work to get back because I'm currently furloughed at the moment. But yeah, I, I grew up in D.C., to answer your question, yeah. Tell us about your musical trajectory. How did you start playing drums? How did you discover the large blanket of music that we're into now? Well, I think it was when I was a little kid, I, you know, my cousin had a drum kit at his house. And I always, I always like was fascinated by a drum kit. I, I remember like, I think he gave me like a drumstick, like one drumstick. I was like super young. I was yeah. just like slamming it on my mom's dashboard, just like trying to destroy her car. <laughs> just like so, like I and I, I was a I'm a very happy dude. I was a happy kid. I was just like I just loved, you know, hitting you know the dashboard and making some sort of beat. I just remember that. So I always remember like liking drums, even from like you know very young age. But around like fifth grade, I think I got a practice pad and. um I basically just have always wanted to be Dave Grohl, you know, growing up when you're a fifth grade, when you're in fifth grade, 1995, and you're familiar with Nirvana and all these awesome nineties drummers, like from like, you know, Matt Cameron from Soundgarden or Dave Grohl or, you know, um, John Stainer from Helmet or whoever it might be like, they're just such fun drum parts, you know? I mean, like, and it's a pretty awesome and in my opinion, easy way to learn drums. It might be harder for other people, but I mean, that time was just like, it just kind of lined up perfectly. It was just like, man, I, I love the idea of drums. These songs, all those bands was like, man, the songs are like, you kind of figure them out, you know, whereas like guitar was harder for me. It seemed like, 
endless amounts of notes on a guitar where it's like drums it's like there it's almost like a yeah, i feel like a like a neanderthal could do it's like oh this makes this sound <laughs> this makes this sound i hit them together and now i make this sound you know but like you know it's yeah. not like those parts were too hard that those guys were doing i mean obviously like someone like that cameron from soundgren's a little more like was playing a little more intricate stuff which is kind of like the next step that i took but like when it came to like nirvana or like that original like even like that original like local h drummer he was like such a badass i remember seeing him and like being like that guy hits harder than anyone i've ever seen in my entire life and i was just i would just basically want to destroy every drum i see and uh <laughs> so i i got into that and you know i got into those bands from obviously like the stereotypical like i grew up skateboarding i heard you guys making fun of that the other day like <laughs> oh, which, which friend are we which friend are we going to interview and what are they going to tell us about when they start skateboarding and <laughs> start listening to music? <laughs> but my, my, in my scenario it was a little different. My dad had, um, he was, uh, the GM of a bunch of surf shops, um, when I grew up. So I grew up around punk and skateboarding. And like, as soon as I learned to walk, like I was on a skateboard. Yeah. So I, uh, I actually like, I never, I, I learned how to surf when I was a, a young kid and then I never really got into it. I was way more into skateboarding and playing drums and that's all i could think about i went to like a private all guy school like uniform i didn't really know anyone was into music but i was like the, t- the type of dude that was like i played on three lacrosse teams but i also like skateboard and played drums and <laughs> oh, i was like, lacrosse tommy's yeah. a big lacrosse head <laughs> yeah. too yeah it's funny i was actually never like i never like loved it i just always wanted to play hockey and my mom never let me play hockey and i was like well it'd be cool to hit people maybe i had a thing about hitting <laughs> hitting things when i grew up i'm realizing that now i don't know <laughs> but like you know i was hitting drums or just like i don't know maybe i just had some secret angst i needed to get out or something but, but yeah probably cross was it was kind of like hockey without ice skates you know? <laughs> just like- and it, it's one of those sports that's like it's so much fun to play but the first like four or five months when you're learning to like handle a stick can be extraordinarily frustrating. <laughs> like yeah. if, if you get past the part where you can like pass and catch and like throw the ball accurately, it's a blast. It's so much fun. It's just you kind of have to get over that hump of like the the learning curve is pretty steep. Yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, like, you know, so I had this side of, you know, me that, you know, my dad had those surf shops and skate shops. And I grew up around that. Like, I mean, I mean, the first bands I remember hearing were Bad Brains, The Cure, The Jam, The Clash, Ramones. Ramones was like the first band I remember hearing. So I got mm. that like really early on. And I started skating like soup. Like, like as soon as I learned to walk, like I was on a skateboard. And I, I was never good, but my style was great. And I could keep up with all my people that I, only the few people that I met skating, but who that were really good, I could keep up with them and film them and stuff like that. But I've always just loved skateboarding culture because I grew up around it and, you know, all the bands that, um, I kind of like learned about through there and, you know, there was that side of it, but then I also was at this private all guy school and, you know, uh, I being there and feeling like such a like outcast, you know, while I'm playing lacrosse, like being like, I don't fit in with these dudes really. And, you know, I'd be like, I I don't know this for me. I kind of want to just like, not do this so I can go home early and like play drums and like where I can go to the show tonight and sneak out and like go to the show or whatever it might be. Yeah, it was, it was a weird dynamic. I, I kind of experienced both those worlds at the same time. Like I saw this very preppy world and the world I really cared about. And I just definitely was obviously 
more focused in the world that I cared about during that time. Yeah, it's funny because my dad's like very, my dad's very uh, skate surf oriented, always has been. And I've always been like super music oriented. I, you know, it's like I'm like that, but with music, how he is about skating and surfing. Yeah, so I got into all sorts of bands, you know, early, like the, you know, those punk bands. And um, yeah, then just like gradually, you know, when I heard Nirvana, obviously that changed everything. I was like, I, I want to play drums. And I got a kit around seventh or maybe sixth grade, I got a kit. And then I met these two kids at school we started a little band then both those guys left my school and i'm like okay i guess i'll just keep playing drums and try and meet some other people and i just kept practicing and practicing you know later on getting into like Snapcase and you know heavier things like you know i remember you know deftones like probably one of my favorite bands but from getting into deftones like i've learned about Snapcase and earth crisis and strife like all these bands as i started getting way more into like progressive drumming and then, like hearing Dillinger change my life and Mashuga, oh, I started God, getting yeah. into that stuff. Oh yeah, um, you know, at you know, being that age, it was just you know, ninety nine and ninth grade. Like hearing, you know, Calculating Infinity was just like my mind exploded. You know, <laughs> yeah, that was such a life changing yeah. record. Did you did you ever could you ever drum like that? Could you do any of that wild stuff? You know, it's funny. Not a lot of people know this, but when I, I'm very, I was. I'm, very dear friends of Chris Penny. I haven't talked to him in a minute, but when he left Dillinger, Greg, the singer of Dillinger, he, Greg and I are, are very, very tight. Um, mm-hmm. He asked me if I would do Dillinger because Chris is going to do Coheed. And I ran through Panasonic Youth one time with him because Greg and I had started our own band. Not a lot of people know that, but oh. we'd started our own band for a minute with Aaron North, who had just left Nine Inch Nails and using Icarus Line. And wow. that band, that band, and I'm not end up doing anything. It sucks. I flew to LA a couple times to record some stuff with them, and it was so fun. But you know, some stuff happened. So obviously, the band never came to fruition. But because Greg and I are like, you know, he's still one of my best friends. You know, during that time, he when he and I met, it was like instant buds. And he's like, "Dude, Chris is gonna definitely do his coheed thing. Uh, you should totally join." And I talked to Chris. He's like, "Yeah, come up here, and we can run through some songs." And I think they're going to try and do this one tour and I'm probably going to do Coheed and then I'm probably going to go back to Dillinger. But if you could fill in, that'd be cool. And wow. I was like, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. And, and during that time, my chops were like pretty awesome. Cause I, I had just left that band, the Tony Danza tap dance travaganza. And I was like super into like tech metal stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's like, you know, this is even before I joined all has failed. Uh, or no, sorry. This is after I had joined Osfield. Yeah, Gre- Greg was just like, "Dude, let's do this." So I ran through Panasonic Youth one time with him, and I pretty much fucking nailed it, dead on. And then I was like, "I think I missed this one China accent at the beginning. Let me look up the video." And Greg and I both watched the video, and I looked at him, and I was like, watching Chris do it, and I was like, "Dude, I'm not your guy." I was like, "He's like, what are you fucking talking about? You hit hard as fuck." And I was like, "Yeah, but I'm not your guy." I like <laughs> really. I, I was, I was like, I, I was, and th- at that moment, I kind of realized I was like, I want to play more like grill oriented parts, you know. Like, I think deep down, I always kind of knew I wanted to be in some sort of like, you know, grungy shoegaze band, like stuff that I really dug, and that like my time of like really digging super progressive drumming and progressive metal had kind of like ended. But I had, I always was like in bands like that, you know. I mean, so yeah. It, yeah, when I left 
So, so I started so with the high school, and when I graduated, I went MTSU, which is in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. It's right south of Nashville. I went there with like a bunch of friends from DC. During that time, they had like the number one music business program, and it was, but it was like a normal college. It wasn't like a trade school. So we get there, and I started. You know, I was just so anxious to be in a band. I didn't drink. All I did was play drums. I didn't right. even want to be at college. I was just like, I'll go to my music business classes and I'm just going to practice all the time. Joined this band and we played with this band called the Tony Danza Tap Dance Travaganza. And like, they asked me to join. It was like their second or third show because their drummer was going to go do something else. So when I was in Danza, I was 18, I think. This is a 2002, 2003 time. I didn't and- even know you were in that band until I looked it up. I don't know, a little while ago. And that's a, that's a decent band. That's a, like the name throws you, you think it's going to be some yeah. wacky, like electro project, but it's really good, heavy techie, like metalcore. And it's weird. I've, I really feel like that band, especially like, you know, that time that I was in, it was when, when they first started was the first of like all those bands that came later. I mean, you would see bands later that came like, like, uh, job for a cowboy like these goofy named metal bands that you know I, they're yeah. probably all good i was never really that into those type of bands but i'm sure you know they're good in their own right but i really feel like danzo was like the first one i could be wrong but it felt like they were the first one just to, doing that stuff like i remember like we wanted to sign to black market and we're talking to a guy from Redcord, and he was like dude this is awesome and i want to sign you guys but you know if you thought about changing the name <laughs> we're just like <laughs> uh absolutely not <laughs> And then I think later on, they actually ended up working with him, which is awesome. Um, I, I think I had left the band at that point to join All's Failed. But, but yeah, so I was in Danza. And like during that time, it was crazy because we were like number one on mb3.com and number one on hardcoremb3.com. Wow. And I remember like I had my final exams my sophomore year. Or no, it was like my, yeah, my midterm exams or something like that. I missed all of them because we had like a three-day run that we did. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it doesn't matter. I was like, <laughs> I was like, we're number one at mb3.com and hardcore mb3.com. We're going to be the biggest band in the world. Like, I, I, like fuck school. I'm out of here. And mp3.com is still the reigning uh, <laughs> champion of, of musical destinations right now. <laughs> exactly. So like during that time of like the 2003 era, I'm like, man, everybody's like freaking out about us. Like, we showed up in Birmingham, I think our first like out of town show. And the five of us were packed into this Ford F-150 pickup truck, like total, like it's exactly how you think that band would have showed up to a show. And everybody's like, who is this band? We just know about them. They have a goofy name. They yeah. make fun of Southern stuff all the time. And we showed up in this pickup truck and the, the line, I was at uh, cave nine in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. There's like a line on the block. And I was like, Whoa who's playing with us? And then like <laughs> all these kids are there to see us and we play the show. It crushed. How um, does that feel? I've never experienced anything like that where anyone wanted to see a band I'm in. Like, how does it feel growing up and seeing the line and realizing those people are there for you? It was very surreal. And I, it's like, almost like when we got there, we, the promoter told us like everybody's there for everyone was stoked to see us. He thought most people were there to see us. So we played the show and I remember being outside and I was like kind of loading some stuff up into the truck or the trailer, whatever it was. And, uh, I think we just loaded our gear in the back of the pickup truck with no covering. <laughs> but 
I was, you know, I was, I was back there or, or I was outside and I just, I saw, we had like 10 demo CDs. That's all we had for merch. We didn't think anyone knew about our band or cared. Yeah. And I remember someone selling one of the demo CDs to this other kid for like 50 or 60 bucks. And I was what? like, Oh my God. And I was just like, this is insane. And then everyone found out we were going to this like barbecue place or whatever afterwards. And everybody's trying to go there and like hang out with us. I was like, we're like, what is <laughs> happening? Like, this is, <laughs> this is insane. I would think uh, it was a practical joke or something. I'm, I'd be like, you assholes, I'm too sensitive for this. Like, <laughs> when's the other shoe going to drop? Yeah. Right. I, I it was just it, it, I, like, it felt very surreal, but it also, you know, you could tell like, man, we're three hours from home and people are like this and our hometown shows are already crazy. Yeah. Maybe the Southeast is something we need to start conquering. Well, you know, fast forward a little bit and the, and everything had been going pretty well, but the band essentially broke up uh, for the first time and like we all left. And then the day I was supposed to sign my lease and pay tuition at MTSU, um, Chris Penny from Dillinger called me and he's like, hey man, I was I played drums on this band's record called All's Failed from Philly. They have a record coming out. I played on half the tracks. They need a drummer. Looks like they're going to go tour Europe and Japan. It could be a cool opportunity. You want to go try out? And I was like, yep. And I loaded up my Chevy Blazer that night and I just drove back to DC. Nice. And didn't pay, didn't pay tuition, didn't, didn't <laughs> sign with the lease for my apartment. And I just went back and, you know, my mom, in the middle of the night's like, what are you doing home? <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, I just joined a hardcore band in Philly. She's like, oh my God, like, go to school. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was just like i'm leaving for tour like we're going on tour yeah i'm trying out for the band tomorrow the next morning she wakes me up at like 8 a.m before i leave to try to fill you she's like do you apply to schools yet and i was like no i did not apply to schools yet <laughs> like, <laughs> i'm going again, on the tour <laughs> yeah yeah but it was like it was very frowned upon my you know, my dad kind of got it because i'd like given college a try and he he knew that i would, i wanted to go back and finish at some point but like you know, I was sitting in class just being like, all I want to do is just like learn how to hit harder and play better than anyone else I could possibly see. And, uh, you know, when you're a band like Danza during that time with all that hype, you can't sit in a sociology class and just like not think about how you should be on tour. You know, it's, it was just like I couldn't concentrate at all. So with Chris calling me about All's Failed, it was, it was really great. So I, I drove up to Philly. Tried out for all has failed, and I get there. And you guys are pretty close with them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were in Crash of '64 with Pat. Yeah, that's how I met yeah. you. Yeah, because you were in that's Solar right. Powered at the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I drove to Conshohocken. Pat was living there. He was like, he's living in this basement. We practiced basically in his room. I get <laughs> down there, and and everyone's down there, and I show up and I set up, and I I was like, I forgot my water in the car. Or no, no, I set up and he, like, okay, let's run through this one song. Like I learned two songs. Yeah. Ran through one of them. And I think it was at 27. I think it was the first one that I ran through. I was like, shit, I forgot my water in the car. I'll be right back. And I ran and grabbed my water and I come back and I just hear laughter like everywhere. And I'm like, what's so funny? <laughs> Pat and Steve looked at each other and then they just looked at Luke and he was like, we were just laughing because like, 
how hilarious would it have been if you'd showed up from Nashville and you sucked and we'd have to tell you go. <laughs> and they're like and they're, and they're like, but that's not the case. You definitely passed this part of being in the band. And uh, I was like, nice. So like I already I, like after one song, like running through, like, dude, you're in. Like, but you know, obviously I had to beat like four of the five of them at like mini golf and like uh batting cages <laughs> and go-karts or whatever else we did later that night because they're like dude it's all about having fun those guys are awesome so like when i joined that band it was like okay like these guys like want to do this you know i heard the podcast he did with pat when he's talking about that time frame of like they're like okay we decided we're gonna end up doing this that was that time when i joined in august 2004 but we only have doing like i think like one or two tours and then that that kind of like <laughs> and it ended up not happening as in like everybody was like we're having kids or like getting married and i was 19 and i'm so like so the uh the record name this never happened never became happened. a reality yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny i, I almost fe- feel like you know it's so appropriate I've, i think i've talked with pat about this a lot it's so appropriate how that record was named and like what happened and like I mean, the first day we left for tour the steering wheel fell off our van oh my <laughs> it god was like, it was just like <laughs> everything it was just i don't know i, I try to it was like um it was just so sadly comedic and like perfect at the same time yeah so yeah anyway but i was, I was still a member of all failed through 2009 or so yeah actually dave davies and i were the ones who like convinced the band to do this is hardcore pat doesn't remember this but we were and then pat ended up jamming with joe and i was so mad I went off. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, this is all I want to do. He's like, oh, I thought I, I thought you didn't want to do it. I don't, I, we got into it. And we're good now. Like, we're way yeah. good now. But at the time, man, I was like, I don't think I've been more mad at any of my life. Because at the, at the time, I'm like, man, I gave up everything to join Osfail. Then we broke up. I remember that time. I remember some of the beef. I, I wasn't going to bring it up, so I'm glad you did. But, uh... but it's, 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 it's not like it's funny to think about now of like how mad I was. Cause like I see where Pat was coming from during that time. It was like, yeah, you know, I was, cause I was in storm of the Lotus during that time. I joined storm of the Lotus after all scaled broke up and we were kind of busy and he was like, Oh man, I, did, I just didn't think you really wanted to do it. I'm like, why would I want us to do the show, but not play it? <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> but in his, in his, in his defense, he also had a drummer, that he just wrote a brand new song with and had a practice space. It's like, why wouldn't he want him to do the show? <laughs> yeah. So, it's like, so he but, just, did he just kind of assume that you weren't in it? Like you weren't going to do it or something? Yeah, it was weird. I mean, communication kind of like broken down a, a bunch. Like there's honestly like no hard feelings. So it was like, he's, he's one of my favorite human beings on the planet. And like, he wrote me an Same. apology later. And I kind of apl- uh, apologized too about like how I went about it uh, in a way. And then we end up seeing each other the first time in a while at that Cinco de Mayo Mastodon Dillinger show and we like hung out and had a blast it was awesome that's great to be able to move past that man but you know what I've been in that situation where I've been in a situation where I'm I think I'm in a band and then I find out I'm not through not cool ways and it's hurtful it's hurtful like it's very hurtful to me and I I did not handle it well personally so like I don't know. It's just shit that happens when you're in bands, you know? And it's funny. It, it, it wasn't like it happened. I mean, it did technically, I guess, happen behind my back. But he called me. He was like, hey, man, just let you know, like, you know, we're going to have Joe play the show. And I was like, but to me, it was like, what? Like, that was not a thing I even knew about, you know? And yeah. Joe, Joe's awesome. And I'm glad he did it. And I'm glad he's still playing with them now. And 
it all worked out for the best for sure. But yeah, at the time it was kind of like, dude, like I gave up my whole life for this. Just let me do this one last show or whatever it might be. Cause everything during that time was like the last time we do anything, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but obviously that era kind of ended, but, uh, but yeah, so I was, I was doing Swarm of the Lotus during that time too, which was cool. And we did like a couple tours and then that kind of, that band kind of broke up. I was in like the 2.0 version of Swarm of the Lotus um, and they're in Baltimore. So it, my commute was much better because I was driving from DC to Baltimore for practice instead of DC to Philly. Um, yeah. So you, uh, when you try out for these bands, is it really stressful for you? I haven't done a lot of cold band tryouts, maybe only one or two. W- one that I did went famously bad. Like the guys made up an excuse of why they couldn't play anymore and like got me out of there. And I didn't realize until later. Um, <laughs> Have you ever had an experience like that? <laughs> Probably think, not because you're a good drummer. <laughs> I just, well, it's funny, like thinking about that scenario, like when I went to go get my car, when I tried out for all failed, like to get my water, when I came back and they're all laughing. I was yeah. like, man, maybe they're laughing because they're just like, what the fuck are we supposed to do? We don't want this guy in our band or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, like I, I, I don't like think too highly of myself like i i've obviously should have prepared but you know it could be another thing like a personality quirk or something why you don't want someone in your band and, right and so you know obviously hanging out is like most of the most of the stuff but um but no i've never been in that type of scenario i usually show up like super prepared uh there's actually actually <laughs> i have one story that happened kind of recently i don't know if i should name the band but there there is a band that is from my area and with some pretty well-known dudes in it. Mm-hmm. And they, and they asked me to come and record some t- drums for like a couple songs. And, uh, I did, and I, I was under the impression that I was in the band, but it was weird. Cause the drum setup was awful. It was like the throne was barely working. And like, I brought my kick pedal, but like the bass drum moved every time I hit it. <laughs> it was just like, it was it was one of those scenarios where it was like it's not an excuse. It's just like it's just the equipment was just like I could play much better on things that work. <laughs> you <know? laughs> you're, you're you're worried about playing things to keep the equipment together rather than just doing what you would normally do. And uh, but even even after that, I mean, it felt like it went pretty well. And um, they're like, "Yeah, we should do this." And then they have calling like my best friend about playing drums. <laughs> <laughs> and i was like well, what's going on and the, but i heard later that they were playing with all these drummers so like it had nothing to do with me personally like they played with like 15 awesome drummers that i know and respect and love and they were yeah. just trying to get different vibes for different songs so maybe they did like what i did but that's the only time i can kind of think of where it was like i didn't get the gig you know because uh, usually i show up really prepared and it's weird like you know people are always like you know, what Danza recording were you on? What Summer Lotus recording were you on? What Osfield recordings were you on? And I, I wasn't on a lot. I ended up joining after these records got made, yeah. um, which really sucks. Like, I really wish that I had been on some proper Tony Danza release. Like, I helped write a little bit of some songs that later came to fruition. And then Osfield, I was on this, like, kind of comp release, the Good Enough for the Girls We Roll Out release. I was on the first three tracks which were all new tracks and the rest were all like old B-side. those are three of the best songs yeah i'm that's glad it. everybody likes them um yeah those are fucking classics yeah that's that's awesome i i know everybody really digs that 173 song a lot oh my god um, yeah 
that's my that's my favorite like that and on crutches like fucking yeah i just want to destroy people awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean playing those songs was super fun and um so i was on those were all failed and storm of the lotus i wasn't on any proper recordings i, I was on the i hate god tribute and i forget what song we I, I literally went in the parking lot learned the song played on it and left i don't i don't think i've ever heard the song <laughs> so it's it's weird being in those three bands and like playing with them live so much and meeting so many people and being a part of them for so long and not really having like a full stamp on an actual like full length record, you know? Yeah. I've been in that situation where I'm playing someone else's songs and at least in the one instance I was doing that, I don't know. I was in a rush to like write my own stuff and I wanted to have my imprint on it. I did really like the songs I was playing too, but I like, I want to have my work out there. You know what I mean? I guess a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, totally. And it's weird. I didn't really think about it at first until people started asking like, Oh, which record are you on? I'm like, Oh, you know what? That's, that's pretty important. Cause like all I could think about (laughs) was playing shows and playing live. Like that's what I needed to do. Like I wasn't thinking about records really. It's really weird. And then like one day it just hit me, you know, I, I must've been like 21 or 22, like, like right when Osfield broke up the first time and I was like, I hadn't joined Storm of the Lotus yet. And I was just kind of around DC and everyone I knew was in college. And I was just kind of like around working at this backline company. And I was like, what am I doing? And I was like, I have nothing to show for it right now. <laughs> I was like, at yeah. least if I had a record, I could be like, Oh, I played on this, you know? Oh um, yeah. Yeah. So to just to, to backtrack a little bit, I think it's amazing that you made a decision on the spot not to move forward with Dillinger Escape Plan. Because think about it, you're you're a musician, you want to be a full-time musician, you're there playing with an incredible one-of-a-kind band, and like you had the wherewithal to be like, you know, this isn't for me. It happened twice, and I don't know if, I don't know if it ended up getting to the point where like those guys told Ben... But like I, I think Ben knew that like I was potentially an option if it needed to happen or whatever. Yeah. And that I was going to go to Chris's for like a week and like learn some stuff as like buds and do it. But then like there was another time I got asked when things weren't good and I was it was kind of like they didn't know what was going on. They're like we might need a drummer, and yeah. I was like I you know as fun as it would have been, I honestly know myself like if I had joined that band and even if i got the songs down to the point where it was all muscle memory i cared about that band so much and i respected them so much and the music is so you know the surgical precision of those songs that need to needs to happen every night i probably would have been super anxious every show yeah i say that yeah. now you don't, you don't know that till you're in the scenario but like i held them to such high regard of like like I honestly think the best live band I've ever seen in my entire life was Dillinger circa 2002 when it was yeah. just like absolutely terrifying and strobes. Yeah. You know, Brian Benoit's up there and he looks like he's just like, he's like, it's like he is swinging his guitar three centimeters from people's faces in the front. And he yep. knew exactly where it was going and he's <laughs> not, and, and he's not missing one note. And then you look to the left and Ben is jumping off some balcony and Greg is <laughs> on top of something hanging upside down and no one's missing a note. And it's yes. just like, man, you got to really be that good to be in that band. And, you know, I really feel like I could have learned everything because I was that much of a drum nerd to like commit to it. And my chops were really good. Well, much better than 
than they are now. But like, I was like really on it. And I still was just like, man, even if like it gets to the point where Ben's like, okay, let's do this. I probably still would have been like, ah, am I the guy? You know, maybe I was self-doubted myself or jinxed myself or, or, or self-sabotage myself is what, I guess what I'm trying to say. But, but like, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should like, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I can play this. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Like, is your heart in it? Like, do you really want to be a part of this? And it's like, I, I think that I, I go back to what Keith was saying before, but like, to have that kind of like self-awareness to be like, you know what? I don't think this is, I can do this, but I don't think this is for me. Yeah. And also you're during, during that time. And, and uh, by the way, I, I think with that being said, that's so true in so many scenarios, but in, in that dangerous scenario, I think I would have probably cared too much. And just like, like I was saying, almost like self-sabotage, just like, man, am I doing the right thing? Like, is this what people would want to hear? Because like, I really can't, I just, I just knew that that band was so important. And I didn't want to take away from like the importance that I thought that it meant to everybody else. You know, I, I was like, yeah. I hope I'm, I'm worthy of being in that scenario, you know, like, but it, also during that time, it was a lot easier for me to be like, I'm not the guy. Cause I was working on that band with Greg also during that time. So it was like, oh. I'm already doing a cool new band with you. That sounds kind of like breather resist meets Nirvana bleach. And we're like really hyped on it. Wow. I wish that band would have happened. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I saw demos on this old iPod, man. I think he has them too, but like, you know, it's funny. Like, we'll text each other, we're like, do that one riff on song two. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> and we always like talk about like one day, like, we'll record the stuff again. But I mean, we, we recorded, I don't know, like a bunch of ideas over a, f- a few different times. I flew to LA and, uh, yeah, it was Aaron North. Um, he had just left Nine Inch Nails, uh, Greg and myself. And then, I forget who else is supposed to be in it. There was a, a bunch of people that were talked about, but you know, we were all really excited. I, I think they had met with some labels too when I was back in DC. And uh, yeah, it just it some stuff happened. I don't, I'm not really sure what um, some personal stuff, and um, not with me, but yeah. yeah, it didn't end up coming to fruition. And um, yeah, Greg and I were pretty bummed, and we're just like, ah, well, if it happens one day, it happens, and. At least we had that really fun time. Like, we just have a fun time hanging out and playing music, you know? Absolutely. So I met you when you were in Solar Powered Sun Destroyer. Yeah. When was that? That was like 2008 or 9 or something like that? Yeah, so after Swarm broke up, I was like, I'm sick of joining bands that are breaking up. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, Danza broke up, Allsfield broke up, and then Swarm of the Lotus broke up. And I was like, I want to start a band where I am already friends with the people. Yeah. And I want to do a band where people are be like, I want to do this. Yeah. So, so the whole point of solar powered sun destroyer, which whose name I, I ripped from founded hanging. That's a founded hanging song. <laughs> I, th- I thought it'd be so fun to like do a band with that name that sounded like failure and new cave sounding stuff like antenna cave Jupiter cave Okay. And like failure. Like we loved Fantastic Planet. So I kind of like assembled this band and some friends moved into town and it kind of just ended up not being what we wanted it to be. And it got to the point where we were very frustrated that it wasn't sounding like newer cave in and failure ish type of stuff. And it was going in a direction that we didn't really want it to go. Um, that we just kind of like broke it up and started Black Clouds, which was a, you know, three piece instrumental band that 
I was in for a while, which is, you know, that's the band that, you know, that's probably the, the band up until right now that I've been the most proud of to ever be in, um, is Black Clouds. And that was such a good band. I caught you guys, I think, at uh, once, maybe twice. But, like, I always remember this one riff from this one song. I, I can't remember the name of the song, but just seeing it at St. Vitus and all the lights and everything, it's like, it was a great band. And I'm, like, a huge post-rockhead, so it's it was right up my alley. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome that you dug it. It's funny. When we, so when Solar Power broke up, we're like, what are we going to do? And we're just so bummed and... uh like okay, let's let's start. Uh, let's just start writing music that just sounds like a total loud bummer. <laughs> and if we end up having, because we're just so bummed at a lot of things and things just like not working out, that we're just like, fuck it. Like let's just write a record about the end of the world. We'll just make it like a soundtrack. End up not needing vocals. We didn't think, and we made that first record. Everything's not going to be okay. You know, a friend put it out on his label, which is awesome. It was like a very tiny label, uh, Astrolopithecus, I think it's called. Um, it's a very long name. <laughs> yeah, you got to uh, have a zippier label name, man. Yeah, he's the best dude in the world. He, he was just like, dude, I love your band. I want to put it out on vinyl. And we're, we, it was like our second show. And we're like, man, we're working on a record right now. And he just like did it. He's like coolest dude ever. <laughs> I was like, nice. It was like a best, best first case scenario for like a new band, you know, when we started that band, we, it's going to be like this big bummer. And I was like, listen, if we're not going to have vocals, we should, let's just make this the coolest thing we possibly can. Not that we haven't done that in prior bands before, but let's make it look like nine inch nails is playing in a 200 cap club. Let's just make it, absolutely fucking crazy with lights and fog to the yeah. point where everybody's like, what the fuck did I just see? Who's in the <laughs> band? And honestly kind of inspired from, you know, Dillinger and you know, the way that like, you know, like when the minor times did their lights, they had like certain cues up that they did also. And it was it looked just fucking insane. Like, yeah, those are two bands we definitely took the cues from. And I, you know, obviously I think, Modern Times definitely took some of those cues from Botch and stuff like that. But we were just like, let's make that, but amplify it. Like, and just make it look like, holy shit, I just saw a stadium show inside this like 50 to 200 cap club because we're never going to play anything bigger than that. That was our mindset. <laughs> and it, it worked because the time I saw you, I still remember those lights. Like, that's one of the first things that comes to my mind. Yeah, that's so funny. And it's weird. Like, I, I heard a couple rumors that a couple bands wanted to take us out, but they wouldn't because of our light shit and i was like <laughs> and i was like oh man we could totally like scale down or just use a couple floodlights or something like and it, i i i don't know if those rumors are true yeah. but i would i would not be surprised if they were and i would totally understand <laughs> what's their beef do they do, is it like they don't want to be upstaged or something i don't know and i can't remember who was actually like the bands that said it or like friends bands being like dude, I, I bet those are hindering you guys from getting on certain tours. You guys are killing it right now, and you're drawing like crazy. I mean, we did like, I forget how many people we did. We had Line 930 Club, but then the first couple of years of being in a band, we drew like a ton of people. It was with like five other friends' bands, but like we had Line, and it was, it was, it felt pretty full in there, which was like a bucket list goal for all of us. And, you know, we're just like, man, we really need to like keep trying to get on more of these shows. And like, it was just kind of like, all right, can you guys do this? But, we would try and get it into these shows 
like to be a support slot and then we would mention later that we had lights just <laughs> just so they wouldn't <laughs> say no it's like oh actually that's a that's an important part of the band our light guy is actually a member like this needs to happen like like we don't need to use the fog but the lights need to happen people i think people started to get kind of annoyed with it but i mean it looked sick when we were doing it um, yeah yeah it was pretty it was it was a fun time but yeah that the black clouds record the second one dreamcation that came out on collect which mm-hmm. is jeff, jeff rickley's label jeff, it's funny because we met jeff so so the first black Lives record comes out we do that which is it was awesome we end up meeting jeff through my friend lucas who was in thursday for a while um yeah. he's also in un jeff heard black clouds and he called us he's like do you guys are my new favorite band like i cannot stop listening to you i want to put out your next record and i was like holy shit like jeff Rickley like really loves us and jeff's a very passionate guy like and he's also the nicest dude in the world too but you can tell when he really means something and when he's kind of being like oh that's cool like when he really is passionate about something he just does not stop talking about it i remember we went to go play vitus with them and all the guys in the band get out of the van they're like Dude, Jeff was talking about your band the entire way from DC to New York. <laughs> I, was <just> like, <laughs> I was like, holy shit. So yeah, he they ended up putting out Dreamcation, which is the record I'm up, up till right now that I've been most proud of. Um, yes. And rightfully and, so. And uh yeah, it came out on Collect, and obviously when we were on Collect, there's three things that kind of happened that that broke the band down as we were getting a ton of momentum. Um number one. We, there's another band called that have the name The Black Clouds, and even though we had the trademark and everything, there was like this giant dispute, and they somehow ended up getting the name, and we weren't allowed to use Black Clouds, even though we had everything. I forget exactly how it went down, but that happened, which was like ridiculous, and we had to change the name, and I hated the new name. It was like we were Black Clouds after that, and even though everyone just kept calling us Black Clouds, that was <laughs> yeah. the first thing. And then the second thing was obviously the Skrell, Martin Screlly Pharma Bro. Oh yeah, backing. yeah. That's that sunk the label, <laughs> right? Yeah. So he was he was the silent backer of the label, and it sucks because Jeff Rickley, Norman Brannon, and and Sean Durkin, who were doing the label, are the best human beings in the world, and they were really crushing it. It was awesome. It was like the best label to be on. They were the nicest dudes ever. But yeah, and they were almost at the point where they were like doing it on their own. They didn't need any more back. Like it was actually working. But then when the news came out about, you know, Screlly being part of that and whatever, those guys were just like, well, you know, they had no idea what he was doing. Yeah. They just they just knew him as a great guy that was trying to help the label. And at one point, I remember Jeff calling me and being like, dude, like our silent partner wants to give everybody health insurance. And I was like, no way. So to them, he was like this great dude. And all of a sudden, one day on the news, he's like the super villain. And they're like, well, uh, we got to shut down the label because they're such <laughs> good guys. Yeah. yeah. They're such good guys. They didn't want to deal with that guy. And they did the right thing, you know, but it sucks. So that's the number two that the label shut down. And then number three, our guitar player had some health stuff going on. And we had a, we had a fill-in come in um, who was in solar powered with us. And mm-hmm. he, he kind of ended up not being able to do the band after a while, too. So when our original guitar player who wrote all that stuff left, and then like the second guy ended up needing to leave, Ross, my bass player, and I were like, you know what, let's, let's 
go start something else. And so we just started this new band, Burial Waves. Well, first, let me say this. When you see Martin Shkreli pop up in the news, do you get like post-traumatic reactions? Like, oh, fuck that guy. You know, it's just sad, man, because that, that collect label that Jeff did, I really believed in it. And everybody's like, oh, it's too good to be true. Like, I remember like, there's a bunch of labels that wanted to work with us before we put out Dreamcation. Mm-hmm. And when we kind of told them where we were going, they were like, dude, that's, that's not, that doesn't sound like a real scenario. It's too good to be true. Right. And, you know, they had just like, you know, uh, you know, our label mates at that time were like Creepoid and nothing. Nothing is like it was one a of my great label. Bands. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's one of my absolute favorite bands and, you know, Creepoid's on it. And, you know, I, I who else? they were about to sign some bigger bands too. Jeff was telling me like, they were like in the middle of talks and it was like, man, like it, it was almost a thing where like, I, I really feel like they, those guys knowing how awesome and how hardworking they were could have gotten past that evil pharma bro yeah. and been like, and be like, man, I can't believe we used him as like a leapfrog to get to this point. Now, now we don't have to deal with that, that dipshit anymore. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, the thing is like, if those guys had known how that guy was from the beginning, they never would have worked with him. It was just like, exactly. yeah. it just sucks that he duped everybody and duped guys that I like, know, respect, respect and appreciate. Yes. And, th- and that trickle down effect hurt my guys and my friends so that when I, I see that guy, I'm just like, man, like you really affected my life, like real hard. Like, you know, just like, and, and not only is that, but he's affected so many other people's lives in a much bigger way, just being the piece of crap that he was, you know? And that's what yeah. he ended up getting convicted of. Like, because he was lying yeah. to investors. Like that's what his final convictions were for, were for lying to two separate hedge funds, investor sets and saying yeah. like, Oh yeah, I'm doing X, Y, and Z when he was actually really doing something completely different. And then when they, the investigation came, they were like, all right, we can get you on these and you can do seven to 10 years. He's like, okay. <laughs> like, wow. He's still, that dude's still worth $70 million. It's weird. I remember like there's there's like South by Southwest showcase for collect and like you know we we weren't able to go down because we needed to find a way to get Justin's gear down there because for Black Clouds he had a very specific type of setup and we were all super broke during that time and we we're like we can't afford it like can we go down there we find out that Screlly had you know who, who was the silent partner at the time we didn't know who it, who he was um, the only per- people that knew he was were the guys at the label and they didn't know that he was evil. Yeah. So they're there, they're there, and they're, and I, I'm hearing that this backer is flying bands down that he's like wanting to look at signing for collect, and we were already on the label. I'm like, why can't we get flown down there? <laughs> you know, <it's> <laughs> like, what the hell? But yeah, I, anyway, I, you know, I when I see Screlly on the news, the only thing I can think of is how much he affected me and my friends and those those guys um, for sure. Because I mean, again, Jeff, Norman, and Sean those three running a label was like the, it was just like the coolest scenario ever. And they just let us do whatever. I mean, they were like, we know you're not going to tour, but like, you know, we also know that you guys really want to license songs out for movie trailers and, you know, commercials and stuff like that. So we want to try and use you guys and that, you know, to do that. And that was what we wanted to do. Like we wanted to score movies and things like that. So, yeah, that was kind of the the reason why we were able to be on that label when most pe- bands would need to tour so much, you know. Um, Did you ever yeah. meet Martin Shkreli? No, no. Okay. 
I was like curious, like when you, because you see him and you like you have this evil association. I was like, I wonder if if you meet him, if he's like, like just not cool. You know, you get like an eerie feeling from him. You know, it's so weird. I I, I remember like I remember Jeff telling me the way that he met that guy. He like bought this Thursday guitar that was for charity, and he like way overpaid for it. He was like, yeah, he see he seemed like the this magical mystery greatest person ever, and like to the point where Jeff was like. Dude, we should get lunch, man. You just donate a lot of money to this charity, and uh, I really appreciate that. You know, and then that's when they met. They were like, "Hey, if you want to start a label, I'll help." You know, and he was just like, "Cool." Wow. <laughs> and, guy, and you know, imagine imagine being someone awesome like Jeff, and then finding that out behind your back, being like, "Man, this guy ended up being evil the whole time." Like, it's it's tough, you know. The headlines were like the worst thing because like when you found out like the biggest thing that I remember, and I, this is the only one I remember from this story was he raised the price on an HIV drug 5,000% overnight. And it was like, okay, that sounds like, and when you see him, if you've ever seen that, what's the show that show uh, 30 rock with Liz lemon, he looks like Liz lemon's agent who is apparently like a, 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 like he's like an 18 year old kid that like is wearing like this ill fitting suit. Like he's always like, wildly underprepared for everything (laughs) like like, and you see him you're like wait that's the dude like you think it's gonna be like this like evil like doctor yeah and it's this fucking like nerdy looking kid like you're like what the fuck it's like dude i could totally beat this guy up and he's (laughs) the king of suck (laughs) (laughs) it's it's weird now that i'm like it's funny i'm like now i'm talking to you guys it's like Man, I wonder if we should even be talking about this. Oh, <laughs> yeah. like, no, no we can. I guess, I guess it's good podcast content. <laughs> there was a lot of fallout from that thing. I rem- I follow Norman and Jeff on social media. And Norman quit a job to you know start working for the label, and Jeff, of yeah, course, man. had a lot invested in this label, and now they have the bad stink Sean of Shkreli on them. Oh yeah, Sean too, who I don't know, but I mean... He's he's in that band Weekend who are amazing. They're a shoegaze band from from San Francisco. I love love that band. And he he, he gave up one of his dream jobs to do Collect. Oh. Yeah. The reverberations are, are many. So uh, Black Clouds comes to an end and now we're doing Burial Waves. Now let's talk about this. We got a new band. Yeah. We got a new record coming out on uh, an excellent label. You got some great company on that label. I checked out one of the songs that's out there, and I love it. I love. I didn't realize it was uh, Kyle from uh, Pianos, Become the Teeth. Oh, by the way, it's not, it's not a record. I, it's a bu- burst your bubble. We just have a single coming out soon with a video, and then we're going to basically put out a bunch of singles and then kind of re- maybe release it as like one thing. But like, oh. because of the pandemic, we kind of got set back a bit. We played, we played two shows, and then the pandemic hit, and we weren't able to play as much. So we recorded a few songs this summer, and we're like, okay, we have nothing to put out in the world. Uh, we have one video that's on YouTube at the moment that was like a live video that we did to help promote a show. Because we're like, no one knows what we sound like. We might as well record a live thing, yeah. And so people know what they're going to come see, and we just kind of put it out there. But yeah, it's. So when, when Black Clouds ended, Ross, my bass player, and I were basically not in a band for about two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we posted that we were done, and we had been jamming with Tom Keeley from Thursday a little bit because he had some music that he had written, and we jammed on it. It was it was cool, but something wasn't clicking with it. And then like 
Ross and I are like, okay, I feel like if we write stuff that we want to do with Tom, it might work better. Yeah. So Ross calls, or, or we, I put out the statement, or someone did put out the statement that Black Clouds is done. Within two minutes of that, Kyle calls me and he's like, dude, I'm so sorry. Kyle from Pianos calls me. Dude, I'm so sorry. Like, it sucks. Like, I love your band. If you ever want to do anything, man, like, let me know. Like, because he and I have very similar music tastes. Like, yeah. You know, we, we love, like, you know, Drab Majesty and, you know, 80s new wave, dark wave sounding stuff and shoegaze stuff. And I wanted to do something different. Um, and so he's like, dude, if you want to do something, like, I'm down. If you want to do something different, like, I feel like I could, I could use another outlet that's different than pianos. And I was like, dude, uh, yes, I don't know how we're going to do this. I can't play guitar and you sing, but let's figure out a way to do something. You know, three minutes after that, Ross calls me. He's like, Hey, Tom Keeley just hit me back. He wants to know if we want to start doing stuff again. We need to find a singer. And I was like, well, Kyle just called me and he wants to start a band. So I guess it looks <laughs> like we're in a new band, <laughs> <I'm just> like, <laughs> which That's is it's like, we love those guys and they're all such good friends. And that's the thing. That's the thing that's so weird during this whole time period between God, 2002 to like basically now. We've become friends with so many bands that are just like, dude, how haven't you guys been in a bigger band yet? <laughs> you know, just like because <laughs> we've all kind of played together, and something always kind of happens. But like, you know, when we were in Solar Powered, it seemed like the only people that cared about it were the Circus Survive guys and the Thrice guys, and they were just like all about it. And it was like the most flattering thing in the world, but it's like no one else really got it. But those, we kept in touch with them. Yeah. And then, and then like when we did black clouds, so many people dug it, but then like all those three things happen, like, you know, the, the label thing and the name thing. And then like our guitar player health stuff. And during every band, we became friends with all these like bigger bands and we came very close with them. That Everybody's just kind of like waiting to be like, you know, why is anything happening at the point where we're playing with Tom from Thursday in my basement for a while because he was, because he just loved what we were doing, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was the first incarnation of the band uh, before we even had a name. And we were just like trying to write some stuff. And then Tom got super busy and Thursday got back together. So Ross ended up putting his guitar on instead of bass and writing some riffs. And he wanted to sound like basically like a heavier version of torch. Which I'm, you get heavier uh, than torch. How? As as, as I'm I'm saying that, as I'm saying that, I should back up because you can't really get heavier than that except for Meshuga. Yeah. But but what I'm trying to say is, in his mind, he wanted to like absolutely destroy. I'm I was the opposite. I'm like, dude, I want to sound like slow dive and my bloody Valentine and shoegazy, but I'm down to be loud. Like I want to be loud. I want to be like kind of like you know how hum is loud and lushy and pretty, you know, yeah. like kind of, kind of like that, but the heaviness coming from the loud rather than like the riff, you know? Yeah. Right. So he and I like, cause the other thing is like Ross had never been in like that heavy of a band. And I had been in so many heavy bands. I kind of got that out of me and Ross has never had to had that out of him yet. So he's just like, he wants to crush, but then he just starts, you know, taking his riffs which were all great and like blending them in with really cool effects so that they still loud and punishing in a way, but not like, Oh, you guys are in a metal band. 
You know, yeah. it doesn't sound like that. But there's this push and pull, kind of like how you hear about like how Deftones have a push and pull a lot, like between some of their members and like some of the guys don't want to be heavy and some guys do, but it ends up being that type of sound. It kind of, it's just funny because like with the members in our band and Ross playing guitar, it was like Ross, Kyle and I for a while working on stuff. You know, Kyle and I definitely wanted to try and do some different and like new that was kind of like almost like new wavy sounding, but at the same time, like the songs that we were writing made sense and it was just like man this sounds really good like obviously i would love to be in a band you know that sounded you know even more different than this but like man we're all buds and we're writing these songs and we have about like two records worth of material and that we're just like sitting on waiting to just like finish just and like we love every song and it does it sound like exactly how we had pictured the band from the beginning no but is it awesome yeah we love every single part of it so yeah, we, we were basically not in a band for five minutes and then Beer Ways forms, <laughs> write a bunch of songs, play two shows, they sell out and then pandemic hits. So we decided to record a few songs this past summer and one of them's coming out next week, which I guess is the day that this is airing. So it, yes. should, be, it should be premiering right now on Brooklyn Vegan. Yeah, so that song's out and then a video is coming out in a couple weeks. So April Monday, April 12th is when the single will be available to everybody? I believe so. We thought it was going to be the 13th, but I think it's the 12th now. Yeah, and I, th- I think Brooklyn Vegan's premiering it, yeah. You see the synergy, Jimmy? Like, we set this thing up, and then the yeah. day it premieres, <laughs> the single is out. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it was great timing. How about, uh, like, what's the plan? Are we going to do a record? Are we going to do some tours? Like, what's in store? The plan is to have fun. So. There you go. Yeah, because I mean, you know, Kyle's in pianos and pianos is still killing it and doing their thing. And, obviously, you know, that's his first priority. And, you know, the, the plan is just to have fun and we want to make cool shit. Basically, we're like a very, we're a very active part-time band. Mm. <laughs> as in like, we talk about the band all the time. We try and practice as much as we can. It's always on our mind, but we're not going to be going out for like, weeks at a time we don't think unless like an opportunity arises and we can be like oh that sounds cool let's go do it you know but yeah time, this is coming from the mouth of a guy who plays drums in the band and we played two shows <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> and, and that was over a year ago so who knows i mean it's it's we'll see what happens with the live music industry which you know i that's that's what i do for my job i'm, I'm a promoter and it's we're just waiting for shows to happen. Like we want to play shows and play these songs in front of people and just do as many cool shows as we possibly can and, uh, record as many cool songs as we could possibly write. And then if it looks like a group of songs really fit together, well, whether we've recorded them or not, maybe we assemble them into a record, but it just seemed like singles were kind of the way to go, especially not knowing with the pandemic and live music, just kind of chilling out and releasing things here and there, you know? I think that's the way to go. And I love the music, and I like this philosophy. Just have fun. If I was in a situation like yours, band-wise, I would be all about it. Because you're doing it, you're dedicated, but it's not this looming thing that you have to worry about so much, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, you don't don't want any pressure, but we want to do stuff. You know, like, it's funny, because when the pandemic hit, in my mind, I was like, you know, I, 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 you know, with what I do for my job, like I'm a promoter and I book a lot of music venues and I saw how far in the future things were getting pushed back. 
Yeah. And when I was thinking about my personal band stuff on, on my music creative side, I was like, man, we should just fucking wait. Like all these other bands are going to wait and then be ready to go when it's time to re- be ready. You know, because if we had not played those shows before the pandemic hit, we probably wouldn't have been a band, you know? Right. Um, but luckily we played those shows and yeah, Kyle went over to Ross's house one day to like pick up some PA stuff. In the middle of the summer, he's like, yeah, we should do something. And I, I was under the impression, like, we're not going to do anything until the pandemic's over. And I was like, okay, if you guys want. Like, so we met up and we practiced and we wrote some songs and we recorded some songs. And I'm so glad we did. Because at the time, I was like, why would we do something? Like, hurry up to do nothing. Like, that doesn't make any <laughs> sense. But you might as well do something when you're doing nothing. You know, so it, it all worked out. And I'm so glad we did it. It's been such a breath of fresh air anytime that we can meet and play. The only thing that sucks is like, you know, it's, it's hard to hang out during this time. It doesn't, it, it, that band hangout scenario doesn't there. It's like, okay, you're going to office to get this done. And then we got to separate ways. <laughs> yeah. So, there's, there's not, yeah. I have not done a lot of hanging out except people in my COVID bubble, so to speak. Like I have friends, I have like two friends that I see on a semi-regular basis but that's it. It's weird. Cause you know, it's, it's funny that in burial waves, four of us know each other very well. And Kyle doesn't know two of the guys as well as Ross and I, like he knows mm-hmm. Ross and I really well, but the other two guys, Kevin and Matt, he just met in the band. So he, you know, it's like, man, we all need to like hang out. You know, and we did at those shows that we played, but it's like, man, we played two shows and a practice, you know, we would hang out and whatever, but it's, it was, st- it's still a brand new band. And it's like, being able to do such normal stuff like that, not being able to do it during a pandemic is so frustrating. It's like, so we take for granted where it's like, Oh, I'm going to band I'm gonna hang out with my, my bandmates. or we're going to go to this bar or yeah. we're all going to go to the show together and like get inspired by this thing. Or let's just have like a band meeting and like talk about artwork and like, you know, drink or whatever it might be. It's like, it's harder to do that now. Now you have to like plan and be like, okay, well, if we want to do some stuff, I guess we should kind of write some songs during this time but we can only do it for this amount of time at this space. Cause there's only this amount of room. And then like, everybody's got to go because you know, you probably shouldn't be in the same room for too long. Yeah. And it's like, and it's just like, we're just like so anxious and ready to just be a normal band. <laughs> you know, it's like just hang out and play shows and like do little road trips. I mean, I'm sure we'll do some sort of East coast thing yeah. once things are more normal. And yeah, I mean, we'd obviously, we, we would love to do anything and everything, um, if the opportunity presents itself, but you know, we just want to make sure it's fun and we know that it's a part-time thing and, uh, people dig it enough and we get asked to do stuff. Obviously we'll want to do it. How do you sign with dark operative? Cause in my mind, a label's like, Hey, we want a record. We want a tour. We want a this, we want a that. I guess, do you guys have a good relationship with them and it can just be kind of chill? Yeah. It's so Brent eyestone who does dark operative he he used to do magic bullet records yes and i've known him for a while he's from dc and he loved black clouds he like really wanted to work with black clouds badly Mm -hmm. and then we ended up going with collect he's not one of the ones who said it was too good to be true by the way (laughs) (laughs) uh he he was just kind of like dude that's great it's a great opportunity you should take it but yeah he kind of saw what i did with building black clouds in the area like trying to get us in the right shows and like making sure everything we did was like a full event 
And, you know, when you're getting an instrumental that big in Washington, D.C., when no one in that city cares about instrumental music, and all of a sudden there's some sort of, like, you can kind of tell that something's happening. If you, if for someone who used to have a label in that area, he noticed right away. And he was just like, dude, I love what you guys did. And, like, you know, the aesthetic of everything. I'd love to work with you one day. So we kept in touch. And, you know, we played a show with his band. We were in Black Clouds at Black Cat with, like, Fairweather. Um, I think that's, yeah, he was in Bleach during that time. And yeah, it was, you know, it was us, Jay Robbins, Bleached, and Fairweather. And it was just like, chatted with him. Was, he's just like, dude, I love the band. Like, let me know if you guys ever want to work together. So we kept in touch. And we get to when Barrel Waves is happening. And we realize it's becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the lineup solidified. We have about 10 songs. We're like, okay, well, what do we want to do as far as putting something out? And I was like, I was like, you know, I... I wonder if Brent would want to work with us. Cause we, I feel like we'd fit in that group of bands casting this destroy you power trip. And like all these bands we love and like we're, we're buds with, you know, half, half the dudes. And I called him and I was like, Hey man, so we have this new thing and you know, I sent him some demo stuff and you know, it, it worked out. Cause like normally he wouldn't take anyone new on, but because, because he knows what I do as far as like promoting and booking shows on a career level that he didn't really need to babysit us that much. And he can just kind of help with, you know, publicity and things like that. It was kind of like, okay, let's tag team this, you know? Yes. Um, and that way he doesn't need to worry about us. And we're, that's what we can bring to the table as a new band. And it'll, it'll keep a load off of him. And he also wanted to keep in touch with DC stuff. Cause he just loves DC and he's just like the best dude. And that's just kind of like how it happened. I just called him. I was like, dude, would you be interested? And he's like, dude, I mean, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it's like, so it's cool. So it's not like a full time responsibility for him, but it, he's going to be. I mean, he's already been the biggest help in the world. You know, I mean, for stuff yeah. that is out of my range. When it comes to like marketing and like putting stuff up on streaming platforms and things like that, like when I'm at work, work, I can have like my you know marketing team do that type of thing. Where I'm like booking shows, so I can like worry about us trying to get on shows, and he can kind of help with the stuff that i i'm not really that good at right it's the perfect union business and then you guys just play the music hopefully we get to the point where we get an agent then i'll have to worry about anything (laughs) yeah i'm still waiting for that too yeah i think everyone is (laughs) and i'm sure agents are waiting for bands at this point it's really sad man (laughs) i really hope we bounce back i mean like it's been really hard for like every agent that i know and every promoter i know like it's just like it's just such a weird, weird thing seeing the live music industry just come to a halt for over a year now. I didn't see that one coming, I have to say. Yeah. It was not on my bingo card at all. Yeah, it was like first first to shut down, last to open. And we we all know it's going to be that way. But yeah, you know, now it's springtime and it feels like things are kind of like on the up and up. Everybody in the music industry is like, okay, like... Are we ready yet? <laughs> is everyone yeah. vaccinated? <laughs> I'm very uh, involved in many music scenes, and in my in my inside connections, I hear many things being booked for next year. So that gives me hope. Yeah, I mean, I, and I'm not going to talk about work stuff, but I will say that, like, you know, I was I was very lucky. I survived like three different waves of furloughs, and I was like on the fourth wave of like furloughs. But when I when I when I was furloughed in September, everything was pretty much booked you know, fall and spring for 21, yeah. 22. And then 
you know, things have moved around so many times. Like, like I remember like listening to, listening to, your, to the podcast with Steve Clifford from Circa with you guys. And he was talking, he's like, dude, we moved our tour three times. It was like, I know for <laughs> a fact, I know for a fact that they did because we were talking with them. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> it was just so crazy seeing that happen. And like, just everyone on all end of it, it was just like playing Tetris and dominoes at the same time where it's like, if one thing goes wrong, it could affect so many other things. It was crazy. And, uh, yeah. but yeah, hopefully we're at the point now where it's like, you know, I I've obviously haven't been actively working for about six months now, but hopefully I'm back soon and we can get live music back up and running and play some shows and I can destroy some drums. Like I destroyed my mom's dashboard when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> That was a nice full circle right there. Yeah, I'm I'm I hope so too. I I'm I had a friend who went to a hardcore show on Staten Island over the weekend. I was like, "What?" My God. It was played? like uh, uh this band, well, I don't want to say in case it was like <laughs> not, not legit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't want to blow anybody up, but I it yep. was like seeing a unicorn live. I was like, "Wait, what? How? Who? Yeah. Tell me. Like, I miss people. I want to get back out. I want to go to shows. I want it to get back to normal. And it, it's looking like it will. Yeah. And we, we got to do a hang after this because Tommy's been on here the whole time. And I haven't met Tommy. Yeah. And I, yes. I got to get to know him. <laughs> you do. You do. And we talk about this all the time with guests. It's so weird to, one, talk to everybody. Two, not see them because this is audio only. We don't see yeah. people. Three... It's we can't be like, hey, I'll see you at the show next month. It's just like in the ether. So once you play, we're gonna have to hang. Yeah, and we'll, we'll definitely come up to Vitus and yes, play Philly too. Yeah, well, I've already talked to Dave at Vitus. I was like, dude, we got to do something. And yeah, he's just like I, he's like, I can't wait. I was like, and you should just play with us. <laughs> Perfect. Just do do a good Vitus hang night. That'd be super fun. I can't wait. So, yeah. folks, the single is out now. Go check it out. Follow Dark Operative on Instagram. Follow Burial Waves. Check it out. There's a live song out there right now. Check that out. I really enjoyed that. Glad you dug that one. Yeah, we were nervous about recording that as like a live song and video as like a first thing, but we had no way to go record anything before our shows. And we're like, hope people like this live version of the song because we have a show coming up in two weeks and they have to know what we sound like. <laughs> it sounds good. If it, if it sounded like shit, I'd probably be like, whatever, but... I'm listening to it, and then the chorus kicks in. I was like, oh, yeah, all right. This is, like, yeah. right up my alley. I'm into this. Yeah, we have a recorded version coming out soon, too. Awesome. Um, it's nice to hear the songs we've been working on actually fully recorded from a studio standpoint now. That's what it's all about. That's, like, the best, yeah. to get the ideas from your head actually down onto tape or Pro Tools or whatever the hell people use these days and hear it come to life. I love it. The song's premiere on brooklyn vegan and if you want to follow our stuff all that all that goodness i think we'll have a merch store set up soon we have a couple shirts uh that we had at our shows well there's a couple left over but i think we're gonna do some new designs like a merch store if you want to check that out hopefully that'll be up by the time this this airs and uh yeah just thanks so much for having me it was like seriously super flattering that you even asked and um yeah it's crazy after talking about all this i was like man it's been a long time of doing a lot of stuff together. <laughs> now, now it's another new band, you know, it's like I'm 37. It's that's the other thing. Like starting a new band when you're 37 is just like so weird. Like it's funny, but it's, and it's exciting, 
but it's just so funny and weird. It's like, that's, that thing is never going to leave me. Like you always want to be in a band. Like a friend of mine told me, he was like, being in a band is terrible, but not being in a band is even more terrible. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of true. <laughs> it's so true. I'm still dreaming of my next musical project whenever and wherever it may be. But doing this podcast with Tommy is really scratching the musical itch for the time being. So I'm okay with that. Yeah, the show is awesome, man. I like, like I said, I've listened to a bunch of episodes. I'm in the middle of the Phil from Caspian one right now. He's he's a good bud of ours too, and it's that's a doozy. That's a good one. Yeah, it's just cool seeing people that I know, whether they're actual friends or like kind of acquaintances, and being a part of this too. So thank you so much. Like I really really appreciate being on here. Hey, thanks for coming on, yeah. man. I knew you were had a lot of musical experience, but I didn't know this much. There was so much great stuff in here, and you know what? I'm flattered that you're flattered that you came on here. So <laughs> thank you. Perfect. Is this where you cut and go to like a Sattva commercial or something? <laughs> Once we actually have uh, promotions. We have no, yeah. yeah. No sponsors yet. Yeah. Tommy. Jimmy, it's always nice to talk to new people. Uh, I'm sure we have met at some time in the past. I'm not sure. <laughs> Dude, it doesn't but, matter. We're going to meet in the future. So this would be great. There we yeah. go. Uh, the yeah. other thing I always think it's funny is like when people have like very strange things in common. And I think one of the things that you hit on that kind of blew me away and I'm still kind of like, I didn't even know how to address it in the moment. Playing lacrosse and skateboarding and being into like punk <laughs> and or heavier music. Yes. Yeah. And I went to an all boys private school as well. So, yeah. and it was like that isolation of the only reason I, I, I kind of stayed in that school and, and stayed with music was because my best friend at the time was Anthony Green from Circus Survive. Yeah, Anthony's he went man. To, awesome. Yeah. And, but it's, it's so nice to hear somebody else that has such a similar story and uh, yeah. has gone a completely direct, like, you know, different direction with it. Like, it's, it's awesome and I love it. And uh, again, I really appreciate you got you coming on. It was really awesome to talk to you. Yeah, thanks. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about that. I remember leaving lacrosse practice and it was like a Tuesday night. And like, I went to Capitol Ballroom in DC and I saw Candiria, Vision of Disorder, Scarhead, and, who else was the other playing? I'm just, oh, shut down maybe. And it was just like, I remember being like, it's Tuesday night. I'd rather be doing this forever. Yeah. And seeing shows like this than being at practice. <laughs> Two different worlds. And and it's so funny that we had that, the, the thing about like the farmer bro guy come up because that culture of lacrosse is terrible. Oh. That bro culture is, it is deadly like within that like you can get sucked into it real fast real quick and then the next thing you know you're wearing a pastel shirt and flip-flops everywhere so it's so weird you know i, I looked out with my grade at my school like it was definitely like we had a very eclectic grade that was goofy and funny but the grade above us i just remember like i really feel like half these guys don't know that they can be their own person they're just trying to be the same person it's very weird you know, like yeah. it was weird seeing that happen, you know, like at a school like that, be like, Oh, these guys feel like they all need to be the same type of thing. And there, there's no other option out there. You yeah. Know, like, it was like people would latch onto a click and then, yeah, whether you know, it was like, music or like what they were wearing or the type of Nikes they had or whatever it was. It was just like, man, this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, that all boy environment is definitely, I loved it because I definitely focused on school a hell of a lot yeah. more. Um, but I I think it also brings in this, especially with like an all boys school, 
there is usually it, it evolves around like it's a private school. There's a usually a, a, a pretty hefty tuition that goes along with it, and you get lumped in with these kids. They're like, "Oh, you went to that school," and they yeah. think of all like the you know Audi driving dorks that they knew from that school. And I'm like, "Ah, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. not. I'm, I'm from there, not of there." <laughs> That's exactly how I felt. It's like, oh, oh, it's like you're from that school. You're probably loaded. It's like. No, just because this one kid in my class, his dad is the CEO of whatever company, doesn't yeah. mean that you know I'm I'm like that too. It's like you know my dad has a skate shop. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know it, was, it was fast, but it was a good learning experience, and you know, knowing the guys that get it and are cool. Yeah. Um, when you are in an all guy school environment like that, and it's a goofy class, it's the funniest thing in the world because everybody's just trying to outdo each other on like the funniest things ever because they don't have to worry about make an impression with oh, yeah. you know you know with, with the girls in the class or whatever it's just like it's just you're with your like best buds and you're just trying to make each other laugh the whole time so like junior and senior year end up being like really funny but you know yeah if you're in the wrong grade or you know it, it's it could it could be terrible it's just it, hopefully you're with the right types of people all right well jimmy this was uh absolutely awesome and thanks for coming on yeah, thanks again for having me. You guys are the best. And um, yeah, I can't wait to listen to future episodes. There you have it, folks. Jimmy Rhodes. That was excellent, well-rounded conversation. The guy's been in a lot of great bands. He's got a lot of great stories. I don't think I've spoken to him since 2013 at that show that we were talking about during the conversation. It was, it was great. It was, and you know what? I, I, this is funny. I don't know if you noticed this, but <laughs> him and I have really similar laughs. No. Did you, did you notice that? <laughs> no, I'm, bro, I'll be I, honest. During, during these conversations, I'm so laser focused and like in it, I miss stuff. So when I go back and listen to it, I'm like, oh, fuck. I wish I would have, like, been able to talk more about that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And it, it's funny. When I hear somebody that has a laugh like mine, I always think, like, the only people that laugh like me are people in my family. And it's always <laughs> the, the the males in my on my dad's side all have the same laugh. And yeah. it's like, are we related? <laughs> you guys had a lot of similarities lacrosse all boys private school skateboarding yeah and it's it's funny i always think about those three kind of things put together were very uh defining in like making me who i am uh and it was <laughs> definitely like you know hearing somebody else say like hey i kind of felt like i wasn't a part of this or like i was drawn to more this you know the skateboarding and punk rock side and you know i i felt like obligated to do the other stuff and it's like that's a hundred percent how i felt like it was always like all right well this is i can't let my team down and it's like look i don't i don't have i haven't spoken to anybody for my team except for like three people in the last 10 years like so <laughs> who gives a fuck i have to tell you something go um stay with me on this because it's i it's about you but it's not Okay. All right, so I'm in Bucks County right now. I had to come down here to do something very stressful. Yeah. So I'm at my house last night in Brooklyn, my apartment, and I couldn't sleep. 
it's after 1 a.m. I'm still not asleep. And I finally get to sleep and I have a nightmare. And guess, <laughs> this is where you come in. <laughs> <laughs> I had like a nightmare that, and this is very odd because I usually don't dream about people who are in my life. I only dream about people who aren't in my life. Like people like from I never, the past? Yes, people okay. who in, right. in the past or who are dead or who I don't talk to anymore. It's very rare that I dream about people that I talk to on a regular basis, especially every day like you. Yeah. So I had a dream that <laughs> you were you were having technical difficulties with the podcast. Yeah. And I was screaming at you like <laughs> just flipping out like and I was like physically attacking you. Like, you have to figure this stuff out. You have to... And here's what I think happened. I had to come down here to do something very stressful today. And I think that stress manifested into that dream about you. Oh. Because we don't have technical difficulties anymore, like, that I'm referencing. Yeah, not like we used to. Holy cow. And I'm not mad at you. I'm never mad at you. So I think I think that stress I think my brain like shielded me from the real stress and pushed it into that dream about you. That it that actually might be pretty valid. My yes. daughters watched that show. I, f- I think it's called Brain Games and they did a whole episode about dreams and they said one of the the current theories that's really kind of uh floating around about dreams is they take things that are from your life that are either stressful or formative things that really kind of help you define who you are and they allow you in a in a kind of a a space without boundaries to re-experience those times so say you had an argument with somebody and you felt like you weren't heard or you didn't express your opinion the way you really wanted to because you were afraid about hurting someone's feelings then you would have a dream where that same opportunity would present itself but it would be you know obviously like dreams are you know, kind of sparse and like kind of disconnected, but you know, that same opportunity would present itself. And it's kind of like, sometimes you wake up from that and go, yeah, you know what? When I see that again, I might handle that differently. I think that's my theory is that it, it just presents something that you need or something like that. Cause I, you know, I've been talking about the breakup. I had a dream about my ex for the very first time. Like I was sad about the breakup and in the dream I was with my ex and her kid and we were getting ready to go on like a car trip somewhere. And then I woke up and I was like, oh, shit. So it's like my brain is like, oh, you're sad about this? Here you go. Uh, yeah. That's my, that was my theory about why that happened. I think there's apparently there's a lot of science to back that up. There's, there's a lot of, of current research that says that it really is like those moments that are the most trying. It gives you an opportunity to kind of uh, experience them in a different format. I got an appointment for my first COVID vaccine shot. Yeah, at the end of May, right? Well, the last week of May. Yes. Yes. That's and awesome. wait, so, no, I'm going to edit out when it is because okay. I'm I'm going to keep it a secret because I want the option to not see people. Fair uh, enough. If if I don't want to, gotcha. and then I can lie and say I didn't get the vaccine yet. There you go. Yeah. And it's weird, like, they opened up appointments in New York to people over 30, and I I had to keep refreshing on the site like I was getting Ticketmaster tickets or something. Oh, yeah. It took two days, I think. Yeah, that was, uh, Kelly and I were just setting alarms because somebody had told us that 
I think it was Rite Aid or CVS. I forget which one they, they uploaded things or refreshed everything and, and made the schedules new at around, uh, five 30. So we were getting up around five fifteen, logging in and then just hitting refresh, like, like mad. But it, yeah, it took me, it took Kelly and I three days just to get me an appointment in New Jersey. Wow. So, yeah, but I had my, my second shot to this morning. Oh, this morning. Yeah. This morning I had it. Yeah. So how do you feel? Absolutely phenomenal. I, I, I feel great. Like I, I actually came home for Easter. We got the baby like a new, she gets really upset because the girls have the playground out back and yeah. she can't, she can't climb it or be in it. So we bought like a, you know, small clubhouse, like kind of like those little ones people used to have in their backyards uh, that are like one level. So she can just walk right into it. And so the girls are I, the girls and I put it together this morning and then uh, I raked all the side of the house because we had a tree removed and I had to get all the grass or the, the ground ready to put grass seed down. And I was like, it was hard work for like three hours. And uh, I feel great. Like I feel totally fine. No headaches, no nausea, uh, no achiness, no fever, nothing. Like I, f- I feel absolutely fine. But I, I, I didn't really have a reaction to the first one either. Uh, the first one I felt uh, the next morning, I just felt tired. And like I have, like I had a fever coming on, but I actually never had a fever. So when I get vaccinated, I'm coming down there. You better. Dude, I haven't seen you in a year and a half. (laughs) It's been a year and a month. Oh, and I have to tell the audience, I was in a real funk Saturday because I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of stuff right now. I mean, the two things, the one thing I'm talking about and the one thing I'm not talking about that, that, that's what's on my plate right now, but it's very emotionally taxing and I'm sitting there feeling like shit. And then. You send me that video. <laughs> I feel like part of Tommy's family now. I, I love that they all know me, and he's driving down the shore, and he's like, we're going to the shore, dummy. And then all of his kids are, like, saying hi to me, and, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is, like, the most heartwarming thing ever. I, uh, I, I get I, – I wanted to send that to you because I, I think I mentioned it on the – I know I did. I, I mentioned it on the podcast that whenever we go to the shore, we play – uh, the promise rings. Nothing feels good. So yes. we play the whole record end to end, and uh, just listen. And it's not a long record; it's like thirty-eight minutes or something like that. But I was like, "We're crossing the bridge. Promise ring is on. I'm gonna text Keith right now and see how he's doing." And you were like, "You wrote back to me. You're like, thank you. I really needed that." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "I'm good." It was like the perfect time. See, there's another synergy thing. And here's a rec- Here's a music recommendation for. Anyone who wants it. Knuckle Puck, well-known band, 2020. The album that came out in 2020. I listened to the whole album. It's rare that I listen to whole albums anymore, unless it's someone that's coming on our show or just a band that I really like. I fuck with these year-long playlists, and I prune the best songs from the best albums. You know, I'll do I'll do like, a, all right, I'll listen to the whole album once. I'll pull mm-hmm. out all my favorite songs and drop those in the playlist, and that's it. There you go. But I listened to this whole Knuckle Puck record, and it was incredible. Yeah, they're really hit good. after hit. Have you heard this record? I, you know what, you sent you texted me that earlier today, and while I was doing some work on the side of the house, I did. I listened to, not the whole thing, I, but I listened to like three of the tracks, and it's actually funny that you bring that up. It recommended another band for me that I've always seen their name, and I'm like, ugh, I don't really like that. I don't know why, but um. I played it and watched it and I'm thoroughly impressed. They're really good. They're called tiny moving parts. Oh uh, yeah. Dude, 
the guy played like I was like, oh, that's a really cool. It's like math rocky kind of beginning. Like they have they kind of like walk the line between like poppy emo punky kind of stuff, but like they have a very heavy math rock part with the uh, the guitars. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's like four or five songs right in a row that I hit. I was like, wow, these are just fucking great. Like at the everything I that was like, all right, I'll just keep letting it play because I didn't want to like my hands were filthy. I didn't want to keep touching my phone and like so I was just like, oh okay, I'll just listen to it. Dude, really great players. And on top of that, uh the guitar player sings and plays these really complicated parts. But the more I listened to them, the more I paid attention to the drummer. The drummer is fucking phenomenal. Like really, really great player. Not to yeah. leave the bass player out, but those were the two standouts. Like I went and looked something up about them. They're all family. It's two really? brothers, two brothers and a cousin. Yep, they're all from Minnesota. I think it's the the drummer and the bass player are brothers, and their cousin is the lead singer and guitar player. Wow really cool shit really i gotta cool listen shit. to that yeah tiny moving parts i'll send you the track i was listening to today it was really good please do yeah well i that's it i mean we covered it all we did our pop culture minute we had an amazing conversation with jimmy we covered some stuff here in the end i talked to tommy about my dream about severely pummeling him because <laughs> he was having technical difficulties and now i feel better getting that off my chest i think this was a home run episode always think about this we've recorded this entire thing without each other with the sole exception of three episodes. So you wouldn't be able to physically beat me up anyway. Like we'd never in the same room. (laughs) (laughs) I I wouldn't be able to beat you up. Even if I tried, you're pretty built. Uh, I've been slacking, but I, are you fat now? No, but you know what? I did hit that line and I I thought it was funny as I texted you about it as like, I I'm over 200 pounds now. Yeah. I'm like, 201 or 202 and uh i hardly ever weigh myself but i was just like the scale was out and i was like oh i want to see how much i weigh and i really had that moment of like do i need to go on a diet like do i need to and it, i eat relatively healthy and and pretty clean as it is but like <laughs> i really had a moment of like maybe i'm maybe i'm working out too much maybe i'm eating <laughs> like eating too much food i don't know what's going on and are you could, eating raw chicken breasts or something <laughs> all i could think of was uh do you remember that episode where the simpsons where lisa and well the, everybody goes to the shore they go to the beach and homer's packing everybody's stuff into the car and he goes to lift lisa's suitcase and she intentionally forgot her clothes so she could like kind of reinvent herself down there yeah and lisa looks at him and she goes he goes wow that was really late and she's like yeah, you must be getting stronger. And Homer's response is, well, I have been eating more. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got to watch that show again. That's what, you know what? We got Disney Plus for the girls. And uh, that's one of the huge benefits of that is it has all 31 seasons. And, you know. Oh, yeah. I have my brother's password. Shout yeah, so- out to Kyle. I'm going to I'm gonna dive into seasons four through eight. It's actually, you know, it's funny is on there. It's where they also have the... Uh, there's lots of uh, the superhero movies on there, and I always ignore them. So maybe I'll try my Watch best. Watch to... Logan, I'm telling you. Logan, yeah. If it's yeah. like that kind of like dark and brooding kind of – I think, you know, what kind of turned me off is is a lot of people like kept like hyping these things up and like, you know, it's like the big summer movies and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't want to watch that. Like, you know, it's, it's 30 minutes of story set up and then shit blows up for a while. Like, I don't fucking care. Honestly, I was doing the same thing you were, and I didn't watch them all till much later. They're all good. They're all good. Watch any of them up to Avengers Endgame. 
there are standouts like Doctor Strange is a standout. The first Iron Man is a standout. Avengers one and three are great. Two, not so much. I I've seen it like three times. I still don't remember one thing that happened. They're good. Okay, it's good popcorn fare. But Logan is like standout. That's the one you should. I think start that's with. where I'm gonna I'm gonna start with Logan and then work my way back to Dark Knight and then move forward again. That's it, everybody. We're out of time. We got another incredible guest next week, so strap in for that. It's going to be awesome. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and until next time. Yeah!